Well, good morning. Great seeing you guys here and online. It was great having Pastor Joel back last week. He'll be back here in a couple of weeks. And we're continuing through our series in, in John's Gospel. And today, uh, as we continue, I just wanted to bring an archaeological artifact with me. It's called an answering machine. And those of you old enough to remember using these know the routine. This ancestor of the voicemail would not be with us at all times. It would just be in our home or our apartment when we would get back from being away. We'd walk in and you'd look to see if that light was blinking. Remember that? And then you'd hit play. And it could be something wonderful. Something hopeful. It could be something heartbreaking. It could be something devastating. That's actually come to mind these last couple of days as we have been commemorating one of the most brutal reminders that we live in a fallen world, and that's 9-11. And we remember where we were that day, and several different stories are rehearsed and repeated each year, and I th it's good. We, we need to not forget. We need to remember. But this particular year, I've discovered something that I'd never heard before. It's a story that is documented at, in the 9-11 Memorial in New York. And it's regarding a woman named Julie Sweeney. On September the 11th, 2001, she was in her mid-30s, had just started a new job at a high school near Cape Cod, Massachusetts. She's on her, in her fourth day teaching physical education and, and health science classes, and one of the administrators interrupted one of her classes and asked her to come out and said, you've got a call from your mother-in-law. Julie went to the office, took the call, and her life changed. As her mother-in-law informed Julie that her husband, Brian, a former Navy pilot and Top Gun pilot, 38 years old, was on flight 175 that ended up crashing into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. And Julie struggled to navigate her way back to her house that she had shared with Brian just that previous night. And she did what she always does by habit. And she looked over and saw that blinking light. And she said, could it be? And she hit play. And it was a message from Brian. He had left her this message from one of those airphones that they had in the back of airplane seats that she slashed or swiped a credit card through. And a transcript of the message that he left on her answering machine is at the 9-11 memorial as well. I want you to take a look at it. Hey, Jules, this is Brian. Uh, listen, 
I'm on a plane that has been hijacked. And if things don't go well, and they're not looking good, I want you to know that I absolutely love you. I want you to do good. Have good times. Same with my parents. I'll see you when you get here. I want you to know that I totally love you. Bye, babe. What did that mean to Julie? You can only imagine, but you don't need to just imagine. The 9-11 memorial interviewed her, and here's what she said in that video interview about the impact of hearing from Brian on that answering machine said, when I, I got the message on the answering machine, it was, it was just so Brian. I'm thankful for it, so thankful for that message. Because at least I know, and this is why I'm sharing this with you, I want you to pay attention to what she says. Without a shadow of a doubt, I know what he was thinking. And the calmness in his voice soothed me. The night before Jesus gave his life, he had us on his mind then, and he said some things. We, we don't have an answering machine, but we've got the transcript. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, enlightening the memories of those disciples. And we've been journeying through that final night before Jesus gave his life up, not as a religious martyr, but gave his life up as a sacrifice to bridge us to God, to restore the cosmos, to begin this process of redeeming and restoring all things. And in that upstairs room, we instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper and washed the disciples' feet and gave them final instructions about the Holy Spirit that he would send him in verse 33 of John 16, and the upper room discourse as we know it is in John 14, 15, 16, and then moving into 17. Here's verse 33 of chapter 16. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, they didn't know what was about to happen the next day. They didn't know they were about to head into a 9-11 of the soul where the enemy was going to assault but not be victorious. But they remembered it later. And I think of Julie's words about how hearing Brian's message or that answer machine was, was calming for her. Jesus says, hey, I, I want to say something that's going to give you shalom. He's getting up. They're about to, he's about to pray for them, and then they're about to move to the garden. And he's wanting them to know, this is my heart for you. In this world, you will have trouble. So it makes it crystal clear. It's amazing how, how often we want to forget that. We want to twist that. We want to, we, we, we want to turn the gospel into a genie bottle that we rub so that all our problems go away. He says, no, in this world, you will have trouble. The impact of the gospel is not an exemption from a fallen world. Bombings take place. Pandemics take place. All that stuff, the groanings until the, the, the restoration of all things, they happen. Now, here's the impact of the gospel. He says, in this world, you'll have trouble, but you can take heart. Because I've overcome the world. I'm author and finisher. I'm going to, to finish what I started. And so whatever you're grappling with, whatever you're dealing with, 
It's trouble. We all have our dose of it. Financial stuff, health stuff, marriage stuff, stuff at school, stuff at, at work, or, or stuff at non-work. He said, I want you to take heart. I've overcome the world. And then he did something. So here they are in that upstairs room in Jerusalem. With his, we called them his disciples, and, which is true, but they were also his friends. He prayed. And he prayed for them. Here's how he starts. Verse 1, John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And look at verse 2. He says, For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all you have given him. He's saying, Mission accomplished. It's reminiscent of what he talks about John 10.10 10, that we look at a lot because it was at the epicenter of his mission. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'll tell you why I've come. I didn't come to start a religion. I've come that you might have life. There's bios life in, in Greek, that word. There's suke life in Greek, that biological or that psychological. But then there is zoe, the life of God that was robbed in the garden, robbed in our rebelliousness. He says, I've come to restore to you the life of God, to, to give you my spirit so that you can once again fulfill the original purpose you're made for. And Jesus is saying in their presence, mission accomplished. Then he prays for them. So what we're going to do is something a little bit different today. You guys ready? All right, that was sort of. You guys ready? It's going to involve you and me being reflective, being submissive, being engaged, being intentional. We didn't want to parse this up. We might can do this later, parsing up this amazing prayer. It's known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. But we didn't want to parse it up so that you only heard part of it today. We want to make sure that you get every one of his sentences, the complete message on this night before he died. So I'm not going to give tons of commentary, but I'm going to organize. I've poured into this passage and poured over it. And, and there are several ways that you can look at it, but the one that we're going to do is look at their three experiences. So he's prayed, hey, I've, I've brought them eternal life. And then he prays about us experiencing that life in three directions, and that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to have some mingling time, listening to the message, and then responding back. He talks about experiencing his life upwardly towards the Father, and experiencing this life of the gospel inwardly within our hearts, and experiencing the life of the gospel outwardly to the world. That's the outline I want you to have. Maybe we can bring that up on the screens. I want you to have that outline in your mind to say, okay, this is the structure. Now we're going to look at a number of the sentences that he has on that voicemail recording. And one phrase is going to impact you differently, and a different phrase is going to impact you according to his spirit. If you're a follower of his, his spirit is there. If you're not yet a follower of his, I'm hoping you catch a glimpse of how much he loves us and how intimate He wants to be with us and how personal that night was before He gave His life. And so we're going to go back through the, 
all of the prayer with this skeleton in mind. So when you leave, knowing what, is, what was Jesus' heart for me the night before He died, it was that I would experience His life upwardly and inwardly and outwardly. So let's spend some time looking at each one of these. You can take screenshots during it and, and get a glimpse, but more important than these words are the words of Jesus. So every time I read a text, we're going to read through all 26 verses. Focus. Don't put it in neutral and say, okay, you know what I'm dealing with right now, Jesus, by way of trouble. Pandemic, job, marriage, kids, doubts, whatever it is. Hear Him pray for you. You know, Revelation talks about Satan being the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And Romans 8 says, but Jesus is interceding. And, and Hebrews 7 says it as well. He always lives to intercede. So this is not just past tense. It's present tense. It's what He's doing right now at the right hand of the Father. And it's not just one way. We can also pick up the phone. And you already heard a little bit of His heart. So I want to ask you, is Jeff's going to come and lead us? And we'll have our, our team singing over us and leading us through some responses. But right now, stand up and let's make some requests of him. You've heard his heart a little bit. Now make this request.
Holy Spirit, you've got us here. You got us right where you want us. In this room or in our living room or our car or at a park where we're engaged online. And the question is, will we listen? To words spoken 2,000 years ago that we have a transcript of, but words that are just as alive today because the one who spoke them is here. So whatever we're dealing with and the zigs and zags of our journey, may we hear your heart for us. I ask this in your name, amen. You can have a seat. So what you and I are dealing with right now, whatever we are, what's his heart? He prayed. He said, I I pray that you'll experience my life. And let's look at that first direction, upwardly. Upwardly. Towards the Father. He prayed for our relationship with with the Father. What's it look like? What's his heart for it? Well, there's several aspects of what that upward experience of this life looks like. One, he prayed that we would glorify him. Whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, he says, I want you to live for my glory. That's the ultimate plot of all of history is the glory of God being restored to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So how am I engaging with his beauty, his majesty, and his glory and and glorifying him? Verse 1, read it again. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He said that's the epitome of this relationship. In verse 4, he says, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And you and I, same deal. We're going to see later that he sent us in the world. As he was sent, he has sent us. And we're to glorify him by completing the work that he gave us to do. And that's all of life, vocational callings. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Verse 10, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. That's you and me he's talking about now. In other words, what he's doing for us is participating in glorifying him. And now grapple with these next two statements. Verse 22, I've given them the glory you gave me. Paul writes to the Corinthians that when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart, we participate in the glory of God in ways. We see the glory. Other people don't. We're different humans because we grasp the plot. Verse 24, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. 
You know what Jesus' heart for you, for you is right now and me and, and that parenting challenge? And that job challenge is to see past those things, not ignoring them, but th- to see his glory of the way he's working. Because you loved me before the creation of the world, he says. Which moves into a second aspect of that upward experience of his life. It's not just him praying that we would glorify him, but him praying that we would know him. Not know about him only, knowing him personally, intimately. Present tense, engagement. Verse, verse two, for you granted me authority over all people that I might give eternal life to all those you've given me. Now this is eternal life. Only time in the Gospels that Jesus so explicitly defines what eternal life is. And this is where we get the the understanding that eternal life is not a synonym for heaven. We'll experience eternal life in heaven. Sin will no longer be a a reality, and therefore it'll be undeterred uh, eternal life and unfettered eternal life because it will be undeterred and unfettered intimacy with the Father with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. He said, I pray that they'll know, know you. The only true God and, and me, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So how's my relationship with him today? Am I paying more attention to trying to get to know other people than him? He says, I'm praying. I want to know, I hit the... The, the, the answering machine, the transcript, what was his heart for, for me the night before he gave his life? It was that I would experience his life upwardly, and by that, that I would glorify him, that I would know him, and then by knowing him, I would love him. That's a third aspect of that upward experience of his life, because to know him is to love him. Verse 25, righteous father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. There's an aspect of this life of the gospel that's upward and it's glorifying him and knowing him and loving him. That's his heart for me right now, but there's a fourth one, trusting him. Trusting in what? Trusting that he's going to protect us. Trusting, oh, that he's going to keep me out of trouble? No, he's just said, in this world you will have trouble. That's not what I'm trusting him for. I'm trusting him to protect me, to strengthen me, to give me enough in the midst of whatever I'm dealing with. Verse 11, I'll remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. You think he's still doing that? Absolutely. So he says, and he, he calls out your name, protect her. Protect him. Let me ask you this. Do you think the Father hears the prayers of the Son? How, what percentage of the time? About 
that which we've entrusted to them will not be taken. Greater is he who's in us and he who's in the world and he who began a good work, he will complete it. And what this starts doing when Jesus prays over us in this way, that we would experience that eternal life upwardly in terms of glorifying knowing Him and loving Him and trusting Him, man, it's time to pick up the phone. Not just to hear from Him, but to call Him back and tell Him something. It's a song a lot of us have known for a long time. Don't just sing it into this room or under that screen. Sing it to Him. you don't know what I've done. You're right, but I guarantee you he does, and he still wants to hear it because you know what? He's taking care of all that junk on the cross to restore this, to restore this. He says, I want you to experience my life upwardly less, but also inwardly. Have a seat. Let's unpack that. 
By inwardly, I'm referring to, you see throughout this, there's a hard engagement. It's not just going through the motions. His, his yearning, that night before he gave his life, you get that, that answering machine, is that our hearts would not be far from him. He talks in Matthew 15 about worshiping just with our lips, going through the motions, but while our hearts are far from him, something very different going on in this prayer. What does that inward experience of his life look like? Looks like several things. It looks like knowing that we're loved. Living as loved men and women. He says, well, if he loves me, how come we're going through X, Y, or Z? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. We don't, I don't understand the timing of his return. But what I do understand is what he says. Without equivocation, you're loved in the midst of it. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. And I want you to see this, love them even as you have loved me. Do you know how much the Father loves you? As much as he loves the Son. makes a difference how we do our lives. It also looks like this inward experience of its life looks not like not just living life love, living life nourished. Going through my days well fed on a heart level, which all revolves around not this as an academic religious book, but me devouring this as his love letter. Verse 6, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So me being nourished involves not just reading, not just divine, but obeying, responding. Now they know every, that everything you've given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Look, go down to verse, seven, uh, verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. What? You and I living out this word will bring us into a, a posture of contrast with the world. Not because we're judgmental, but because we're free. You shall know the truth, and the truth is going to make you free. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. And then he says something powerful. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctify, it's a word we don't use that much, but it means to set them apart. Let them hear music that the world doesn't hear. Truth music, way music, life music. And when I start experiencing life inwardly like that and hear his heart for me, I can't help but pick up the phone and say, Jesus, would you be magnified in me? Would all that you want to have happen flow 
deeply, not just ricocheting around flowing within me, but flow through me. Hannah Joe, the team, they're going to lead us to make a statement right now. I want you to stand and let's say something to him. Sing it. Let it come from your heart, not just your, your throat.
And Jesus, that's our heart cry as we're experiencing your life inwardly. Our heart is gripped by your love, by your truth, by your joy. <laughs> you prayed that we might have your joy and it might be in us in a full way. Not a fake smile about our circumstances and some positive mental attitude. But a deep joy. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So take a look at that. That inward experience of his life. It's not just that I will live loved and that I'll live nourished, but I'll live joyfully. It's kind of a little bit of what we were just talking about. He says this. Says in, 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 in verse, verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And there's something that happens when that begins to take place. It moves us into that third direction of experiencing his life, not just upwardly and inwardly, but it becomes contagious and we start experiencing his life outwardly. And so Christ's heart, what was his heart for me? That night before he gave his life, that you would experience his life outwardly and so he experienced his life in such a way that it's contagious. It looks like several things. One, it looks like it will live our, a journey of contrast. Living, experiencing the, the life of Christ outward is, uh, outwardly is to live a life of contrast. Not, not because we're obnoxious, we're, we're different from other people, but not because we're obnoxious or rude or judgmental or even religious. But we're contrasted with them because of the life of Jesus in us. He talks about this over and over. Verse 6, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. Notice how Jesus distinguishes us. The ecclesia, that's that Greek word that means called out. He's got a heart for how we're doing, but he wants us to be in the world. Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Separate them, contrast them. Verse 19, for them I set myself apart that they too may be truly sanctified or set apart. So living in contrast, but the contrast is the life of Jesus burgeoning up within us, which leads to lives of compassion. That's the second way that we experience his life outwardly. Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. How, what did he send? Uh, what, what was Jesus sent into the world to do? Ultimately, to do an act of ultimate compassion, sacrificial care. There's somebody in my world this week that's waiting for that compassion. They don't even know it. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. 
Verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So along with that contrast and that compassion, I need a third aspect of that, that outward experience of his life and it's, it's confidence in his protection. Am I confident that he's got me and, and, and no one's going to take me out of his, his, his grasp? Verse 11, I'll remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we're one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And he says, that's what I prayed for you then, I'm praying for you now. And you can say, I trust you. There's a fourth aspect of that outward experience of his life, and it's that we would experience his community, that we would walk in community, live in community. Our relationships impact uh, our impact. Our relationships, the health of our community is, is directly connected to the credibility of us being salt and light. Verse 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, 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 as we are one. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, then, 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 then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Then the world will see the gospel as credible. Not being a bunch of religious people doing religious games and judgmental, manipulative, power-hungry relationships, but speakers of truth and love who are listening to Jesus and speaking the life of Jesus to this world with one voice. Julie said, I, I loved having that message because I knew without a shadow of doubt what Brian's heart was for me that night. And we can know, without a shadow of a doubt, the heart of Jesus. That we would experience his life upwardly and inwardly and outwardly. You guys remember when you used to use these, these answering machines, you'd walk in and there would be somebody leaving a message at that moment. You guys remember that? And you could walk over and pick up the phone. Say, okay, okay, I've got the message, but now, now I want to talk to you. I want you to stand right now and let's pick up the phone and say one last thing to him. Let's respond. Marsh and Hannah Joe are going to lead us, but don't just listen to them sing. Let them lead you into a liturgy of life.